I, I always tell people, if you're not sure uh, if something will turn out well or not, if you're going to scan it, uh, just do a, a quick, easy scan, like less than 100 photos, uh, maybe even like 20 photos if it's a small thing, and see how that turns out. If that turns out well, then maybe you want to scan it in high quality. If it doesn't look good, um, then tough a lot of time for something that wouldn't turn out well, even if you tried your best at scanning it. So James has a YouTube channel called Classy Dog Films, and I think you might know some of the stuff he has been doing. But apart from that, he's also a photogrammetry master. He's currently shooting a lot of material together with Friendly Shade, who makes a lot of really high quality 3D scanned assets and materials. As I'm kind of a photogrammetry beginner myself, I got to pick up a ton of tips on how to get started. So strap in, it's gonna be an informative one. Before we get started, I gotta apologize for the connection cutouts in this one. It does get more stable towards the end of the conversation, but I hope you can still catch what James is saying despite the technical issues. Now I will just take a minute to talk about the real-time motion graphics course by Mitch Sinaviv. It's a course that I have bought myself because I've known Mitch for some time and have always wondered how he did these crazy abstract scenes. And it turns out he has a lot of cool tricks up his sleeves that you can use for a ton of different things, not just abstract, but also realistic rendered animations. Mitch has a really good understanding of Blender and he knows how to set it up in a way where it's optimized for what you want to do. If you would like to check the course out yourself, you can go to wingfox.com and use the coupon code WFR15 to get 15% off of your purchase. But hey, enough of that. Let's get this podcast started. Cue the intro. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes I feel like when I'm thinking about like anything I want to make, if it's a video, if it's like a, like a project, you know, or just a tutorial, I imagine, ah, oh, that will probably take me like, pff, what, half a week? And then I'll be done. And then two months later, I'm still working on it. Yeah. And sometimes uh, the thing you thought of, it was great, but then you realize you just can't do it. It's too, you don't have the skill or the time or both or the money. Or the money uh, and it's yeah. like, well, even if you do end up finishing it, it's not going to be as good as like that thing you had imagined a while ago. And it's it's a, it's like a bit of a disappointment for you. On the exactly. other hand, other people don't know it, so <laughs> they won't be disappointed as long as you make something. I was thinking, could you tell just a little bit about yourself, like what you what the, your YouTube channel probably because that's that's where I know you from at least. Um, oh, and sure. our emails. Uh, I think. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just start off with like basics. Um, I first got into 3D. My first 3D program was Poser 5. Uh, and I picked that up like at the at the school store because it was on sale. And I thought, this looks cool. And I had no idea how to use it. Um, but gradually, I, I bought like the 3D Total magazines and yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. the other one was. Uh, and I, I gradually, it was basically a hobby. Uh, I just, uh, I had an interest in it and I started learning and there was a lot to learn about. And, um, and I enjoyed it. It was different. Um, and I liked, I liked the control that you had in 3d versus, uh, real life, you know, where you don't have the luxury of the undo button. Um, but yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I gradually just, just, um, I, I would say it was a hobbyist uh, for sure. And I still think of myself as a hobbyist in a lot of ways. Um, I think about 2012 was when I started my YouTube channel. Uh, it was around that time that I, I was working at a, a print shop, like a 24-hour print shop, and I worked uh -huh. at night, and I hated it. I absolutely oh, loathed it. 
but I saw uh, I saw the Freddie W channel and Corridor Digital, and um, and that was something I wanted to do anyway. I wanted to become a filmmaker, but I didn't know how to do it. And uh, uh, at that point, I realized like, well, I should have gone to film school like ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so so I have to like try something here at least. I don't have the money to go to film school, but. Uh, maybe if I just make little films and practice, I'll get better. And maybe I can work up to that one day. Um, so I, I saw their channel and I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start my own channel and I'll just make it a goal to make videos and to make it so that people in the world know I exist and that I do this. And eventually I'll be at a point where I can make those things that I've kind of been daydreaming about for like 10 years or more. Um, so that's what I've been doing. Uh, what, what else is there? Is there anything else? Those that, are the basics. Mm -hmm. But that's super sweet. Like that's super cool that that um, that that you had that inspiration and you're just like let, let me just start doing it because I feel like that's the story that you can have now. Whereas I don't know, twenty years ago or something that that was hard to do. You had to go through the entire like education and everything. But with especially software being so open and Blender being free and everything, then that just allows you to do that. Uh, I personally have a, a similar story, never went to school for it. I just figured that I want to do this. And then slowly it turned into something I could, I could earn money doing, but I would still consider it my hobby as well. Okay. Uh, so yeah. 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 The fact that we now have, um, software and, and certainly also hardware, especially if you want to make, um, films as opposed to just, uh, CG animated stuff, um, that has really given a lot of people a lot of opportunities. Because like you yeah. said, if if you wanted to make a short film even like 20 years ago, well, you're either going to have like a, a crappy camera, a really expensive video camera, or a film camera. Yeah. That's that's like the three levels you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's like you have all the tools are there, right? Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, even like a phone camera now is, is decent enough to make a, a video, a film. That's true, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but hey, I was wondering, so when did you first get into Blender? Like, do you know which was the first version of Blender that you installed? Yeah, I believe, um, I can't say the first version that I installed, because I remember it took, it took me like a good three or four times at least of installing and uninstalling <laughs> to, um, to finally commit to learning it. Uh, like halfway decently, at least. I think the first version I really started learning on was it was probably like it was either two point four two or two point four three. Yeah. Um, I think that would have been like I don't know. I want to say it was like twenty oh six or twenty oh eight, somewhere in that area. Okay. Cool. Cool. I think I think the first one I had was um, was probably around ten, two thousand ten or something. So. Oh. And the, the 2.4, was that the, the, that was the version before the first uh, interface update, right? Where it was really, really old. Oh, uh, yeah. 2.5 was when they introduced the new interface, I 2. believe. 2.5. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I just opened it the first couple of times, and I think that was 2.5. Just tried to click the cube, didn't work, and then I closed it and uninstalled it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's funny. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the... I, I was going to say, I think that interface change uh, was definitely one of the big uh, milestones for Blender development because it seems like such a simple thing, the, the user interface. Um, and like describing it, it is. But uh, boy, it really has a profound effect on your experience with actually using a program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same like uh, with 2.8. I think that was the same. For me, I was like, 
I could kind of see through the interface, right? That you could see it was the same program. Like it just, it was just reskinned. Okay, of course, a few features were changed, but the main thing was just the, the way you saw it. And people were like, it's so much better now. And I was like, it's essentially the same. It's just darker in the, in the color and everything is nicer. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't even notice the difference really if it's small like that. No, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I think getting into it, it was a big change uh, also in 2.8, uh, but yeah. But anyway, oh. I, I think- oh, Sorry, I, I was, mm -hmm. was going to mention one thing real fast. Um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the, um, I started using Blender consistently because Indigo Renderer came out at that time, which I don't know if anybody uses. I'm sure some people still use it. There's probably like four guys in the world that still use <laughs> Indigo Renderer. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it, it, was, it was actually free at that time because I think it was still early in development. And uh, I did that because I was like, oh, sweet. I can get like really good renders and use Blender, which is free. Uh, so I have like realistic looking renders. Um, uh, so that's, that's wow. what I did. Actually, I actually what? bought a license for Indigo Renderer too. Was that a Indigo? Was that a ray tracer or was that an old school biased or uh, it was called uh, raster? Yeah, that's right. It's um, it was an unbiased uh, ray tracer. It was an unbiased rendering. It came out a little oh. bit after Maxwell Render came out. Um, and uh, it, it was pretty similar. Uh, I'm trying to think. I bought a license for it um, shortly after it became like a commercial product that you had to buy. Uh, because at that time, we still didn't have cycles. And I didn't really yeah. want to fiddle with um, Blender internal renderer. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not that you can't do great things with Blender internally. It's just I didn't have the experience to really get good results. Um, yeah. I think I that's the... I bought a lifetime license for Indigo Renderer. Sorry, I talk yes. a lot as well. <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. That's how it should be. <laughs> but that, that's the good thing. Then you just know that you'll get all the updates for the future. <laughs> Not like that's the right. Adobe products where it's like you have to pay every single month. <laughs> I know. The funny thing is, though, I use my Adobe products every month. I haven't used Indigo Renderer in like 10 years, probably. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I got to check that out. I honestly never heard about Indigo, uh, the render. I heard about all the a lot of a lot of from the you know the CJ Garage podcast. Chris Nichols oh. talks about a lot of the the uh, the renders through the ages, but I haven't I haven't heard about this one before. Oh yeah, but I'm not sure why. I mean, it, it was a pretty decent one. It just never really got popular for some reason. Yeah, yeah, hmm. <laughs> yeah. But hey, but hey, I think now with cycles and uh, I I personally use Redshift more, but yeah, there are there are a lot of a lot of good render engines now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, once Cycles came out, um, it pretty much killed the need for, for me for any external uh, rendering. Yeah. I still find that Cycles sometimes is lacking a few features, like displacement doesn't work so well as in other software or other render engines. And also, uh, I'm always, um, like the, the depth of field sometimes, you, you cannot change so many settings there. If you have Redshift, you can like fiddle with everything. Uh, <laughs> and oh, also Caustics, cool. that doesn't really work in Cycles. but. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah, some of those features uh, I do notice they have uh, a lot more support for controlling them and then getting like a result you're really happy with in in other render engines. Yeah, yeah, but I think like still the the super cool thing and what I always when people haven't really touched Blender and I want to prove how cool it is, I just flip to Eevee and show them a material setup with a car and then I go like, okay, so here is Eevee, this is real time, and then I flip to Cycles and then it's just poof, everything with. You know, like the extra reflections and everything was just ray trace instead of that. Like, but it, it, it's, it's, it's the same. It's the same material. And I'm like, yes, of course. It's just you flip to cycles and then it's ray traced instead. That shouldn't be a big deal, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I guess because we're used to it. But it is it is cool to see uh, to see the difference. 
Exactly, because I mean, in so many other like Cinema 4D and stuff like that, if you try to make something with the with the default shading there, and then you flip to to Redshift or something, it looks entirely different, uh, and you can't even do that. But Blender's like totally just back and forth. <laughs> oh yeah, that is really yeah. helpful. I'm so glad they made it so that you can switch between EV and Cycles, and you don't get a result that's like uh, unexpected. Exactly, exactly. It's I think it's only like the bump mapping, which is a bit uh, different. But uh, but hey. But I wanted to to talk a bit about your GTA in real life video because I think that was maybe that or Happy Wheels was uh, was the first video I saw from you. I remember like this this first GTA where you like this red car that was built from wireframe and it suddenly appeared and then it was like bam and that was the car and I was like what? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> when when did you when did you do that? I think that was in 2015. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I. I've been wanting to make a GTA video for a long time, and I had a lot of different ideas, uh, and that's still the case, actually. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, that that was the first video where I decided I want to make the video. Oh, I wanted to feel like a film, um, and I wanted to. That was the first video where I decided I'm going to take just one idea, like a simple idea, and I'm going to try to do a really good job on it, and yeah. I'm not going to. Because some of my other videos, I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have this and this and this. And <laughs> the the second GTA video I made was kind of a good example of that, of uh, uh, a bad habit, I think, that I have. Um, so I decided, yeah, just keep it as uh, uh, one simple idea and just try to do a really good job on it. Spawning um, in a car and the spawning in of the car was the whole video uh, idea, at least. Yeah, yeah, but it totally like it totally hits because people get it. And yeah, we always wanna <laughs> wanted to see that in real life. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, think was... even even with that, your second GTA video was also really cool, really cool because you had like you had maybe more kind of a story there because there were more like there were a couple of different elements, uh, and I loved the idea that it was like the noob's first day <laughs> because it's yeah. exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I did have uh, other ideas that I, I scratched because it was just taking too long. Even looking back at that video, you know, I don't dislike it. But it's just so slow. Um, it's slow. It's so slowly paced. Uh, but uh, at the same time, that character—I uh, just call him Classy. Um, that was that. That's a character that I want to be kind of a recurring character, on, like the face of the channel. Um, and I wanted to have introduction story, but it's an introduction nonetheless, I guess. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of give people a chance to sort of. Uh, I don't know. Feel like it is a character, not yeah. just a guy in a video. And would it then be that he reoccurred in different videos from different, like different video games, different universes, different stories? Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, cool, cool. I like that idea. I like that idea. <laughs> I, I also... do have, I do have more GTA videos for him that I've, I've, I've had him like in my head for for years at this point. But um, and also, also others. Like, I know there's a Call of Duty uh inspired video that i want to put him in um he's not a very deep character um but <laughs> i think of him as like a part of myself as sort of just like uh, a nice guy who's uh just happy-go-lucky maybe i don't know happy-go-lucky <laughs> yeah i think it's such a cool idea i think it's such a cool idea because then you yeah you, you can kind of tell the story and your entire channel is the the book right you just have That's different right. chapters uh, I've, been, I've been wanting to film the sequel for the, the last GTA video I made, uh, but I'm about, uh, I don't know, like 40 pounds heavier now than I was 
mean, it might be kind of jarring to see me go from like skinny to kind of chunky <laughs> in the next one. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, I, I guess like with with just production of or something like that, it can take a really long time uh, and everything. I was actually thinking about um, how do you usually when you want to set up a video like this. How do you go about it? Do you have like a long storyboard you write, plan everything out in advance and... Oh, uh, hang on, my audio cut out a second. I didn't oh. hear any, what you said, sorry. <laughs> all good, all good. My connection is not the best. <laughs> I was wondering... Why might even be mine, I don't know. I was wondering, um, when you were doing these, these videos, how do you usually go about it? Because I suppose there are a lot of things to think about VFX-wise. Like, how would you do these shots? Have you everything planned out before you go recording? Or is it more like you kind of just go out there and try and then you see what you get? <laughs> um, my audio cut out again, but I think I understood what you said. Um, sort of like how I also, can you hear me? Okay. Am I cutting out? Your, yours, your audio is totally fine. Um, so, uh, okay, good. Okay. <laughs> um, gosh, what do I do? Usually there's a period of time where. Uh, most of the time, I do have like the basic idea for the video. Um, as far as the story goes, there might be some things that I'm not sure of, or I'm not sure how to get from like this part of it to this part of it, and that can take a little time. But yeah. um, I do make sure I have that figured out before I actually start working on anything that could be affected by that. Uh, usually, I'll I'll start with and a need. So if the the whole idea for the video is a car. Uh, the car asset ready. Um, I don't know if this is a good way to go about it. This is just a habit I've gotten into. Uh, I tried to work on the things that I know I'm going to need. Uh, and from there, once the story is figured out and, uh, and I know, uh, writing, I, well, gosh, it, it can be a complicated thing and it really does depend on the video itself. Yeah, um, yeah. If it's if it's a VFX video, so I'm shooting live action and I'll be adding in computer generated stuff, then I do like to have a shot list. Yeah. Uh, of the first, um, and that way, uh, I, I know what needs to be shot, but I also know what assets are going to need to be generated or or uh, bought or or whatever. Right, a little gassy. Um, uh, uh, and, and that way. I kind of have my schedule uh, and, and it also helps you feel better mentally because uh, there's not, there's, there's a lot less ambiguity in movies. Uh, I get anxious or I get stressed out when US and I don't, I, I don't have it uh, clearly uh, defined, I guess. And, yeah. and sometimes, sometimes it's just a simple act of writing down what you need to do that can make you feel a lot better and release a lot of that anxiety because it's not just uh, these disparate thoughts floating around in your head. Um, it's down paper and that makes you feel better because it's like, well, that, that is everything that needs to be done. If you think of something else, you just add it to the list. Yeah. And, and, and that really makes me feel better, especially on a big project uh, because I'm, and everything so if it doesn't get done it's my fault if i don't do it it doesn't get done <laughs> um so that that's one thing that helped me a lot um yeah. when i was younger i would think uh you know whatever i'll just do it but you I just think go older, record something and see what happens 
Yeah, right. As I get older, I realize it's not just about, you know, keeping things organized. It's about helping yourself feel better about yeah. uh, getting the work done. I think so too. I think so too. And um, I personally haven't tried it so much. I tried it with one project, making a shot list, so I knew exactly what to do. But then I got so frustrated because I realized that my plan initially didn't work. I had to change it along the way. And I was like, wait, so I need to change stuff now. Now I'm getting confused <laughs> because I realized, okay, this wouldn't work here and this wouldn't work here. You know, when you get out there and actually record it, you realize, oh, no, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that can yeah. happen a lot. I think it's it's kind of a, a parallel to when you have to build something. You know, if um, if you just go by what's in your head, it mm -hmm. might go together, um, but you know sometimes you'll find the way you design something, and, and it's just in your head. Once you actually start making it, you realize like, well, this this piece is in the way of this thing now, yeah. and I would have to change it. Yeah, then you have to like be flexible. At least we are not on a big VFX shoot where I don't know where every minute costs a thousand bucks or something. Oh wow, yeah, <laughs> that would be stressful. Yeah, then you're like, oh man, we got to figure this out fast. Yeah. Um, but hey, I was also thinking that it would be really cool to hear a bit about photo scanning because photo scanning is something that I personally don't know so much about. I think the only stuff I know about it is what I've learned from your videos, to be honest. Uh, oh, and then okay. I, I remember tried once photo scanning a piece of chocolate and that was horrible because I used my phone, um, but it didn't work, didn't work. So you can probably tell us a lot more about like how to do it properly. Um, but yeah, so... You have the, like this um, this tutorial series that's ongoing about uh, photo scanning. Yeah, I have a very slowly ongoing uh, <laughs> series on scanning. Uh, the guide to photo scan is what I called it. Mm -hmm. The name might be uh, uh, irrelevant, but I'm going to keep calling that because I built up the SEO, so why not? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, 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 my first time using PhotoScan, I believe, was, uh, I think that was 2014, might have been 2013, but um, uh, for years, uh, when, when I was probably, I don't know, when I was in my teens anyway, I, I had an interest in photography and taking pictures. Um, I had an interest in, in photography, and uh, it, was, it was another hobby of mine, you know, it was yeah. sort of... It was similar to CG. It was similar to making movies, you know? So I figured I enjoy it. I'll do it. Maybe it'll pay off in the future. Uh, and it turns out it did when it came to photo scanning because it gave me, um, I wasn't a master or anything. I'm not even, I, I consider myself an intermediate, maybe a professional in some ways. Well, but from, from what I see, the work that you've been doing and checking your photo scans, like I also, I also mentioned that in the emails, sometimes it feels like you are already above the level of the mega scans, like the quick tool team. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so the stuff you find in there is like, it's okay, but you kind of get a little bit disappointed. And uh, yeah. I've heard people say that. I haven't taken a good look at them, but uh, well, but thank you. <laughs> What's I going to say? Oh, um, yeah. In 2013 or 2014, I remember PhotoScan. I don't know if it, it, it was probably out before then, but that was, that was when I finally downloaded it. And mm -hmm. I tried software like that before. I just don't think it was ready. The software that had been developed at that time just wasn't ready to do the things that PhotoScan was able to do at that time. Yeah. Um, and that was really fun. Because that modeling. So I thought, well, I could just scan stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's like, it was so, it was so interesting when I was watching your videos and especially, I think it was, you were mentioning a guy, what was his name? I think 
he was like Ro Romain's Rom Romain's or oh, something. Uh, uh, Romain Ruffet. Romain, Romain. Okay, he like some of the stuff that he had made, uh, some photo scanning. Like he had a motorbike, and that totally looked like in the video you showed. It just totally looked like it was modeled. And I was like, could he have made that in like a couple of days or maybe a week with with photogrammetry? Then it would have taken me like a month, if not four, to to model it <laughs> in that detail level. <laughs> that would be incredible to be able to do. I remember, yeah, I remember that motorcycle you're talking about. He works with uh, Substance now, I believe. Substance. Oh, okay. Well, there you go, there you go. But yeah. I think, uh, yeah. But what what would you say? Um, what are the best objects to not necessarily start out, start out with, but which objects makes the most sense to photo scan, and which well, objects are more like for modeling? Because you also talk a little bit about this in your videos. Um, I suppose overlap sometimes too you know sometimes you're going to scan something and you'll need to disassemble it in a way or it can be used better when it does become a model uh, that is a good question you know certainly the things that you can't scan those um but that's that's an easy answer <laughs> sorry can, can you repeat that the the connection just broke out broke out a bit uh oh sure I was going to say, uh, certainly the things that you can't scan are good subjects for modeling. Well, that's true. I guess that kind of uh, answers the entire question. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know. Things that are going to be really difficult to scan are also good candidates for modeling. Uh, it does yeah. come, it, it comes down to the quality of the scan you're going to get. And that's one thing to consider uh, to become uh, uh, or to add toolkit, so to speak. Yeah. You want to be able to predict what will turn out well if I scan it and what's going to look really bad and maybe require a lot of cleanup or maybe even just not even be worth modeling. Just just do yeah. a quick lazy scan and use that as reference, really. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then you can kind of fill in the blanks afterwards or, you know, do the scanning and fill in the blanks. You know that you will have to model uh, exactly, yeah. by hand. Huh. And if yeah. I, I always tell people, if you're not sure uh, if something will turn out well or not, if you're going to scan it, uh, just do a, a quick, easy scan, like less than 100 photos, uh, maybe even like 20 photos if it's a small thing, and see how that turns out. If that turns out well, then maybe you want to scan it in high quality. If it doesn't look good, um, then tell a lot of time for something that wouldn't turn out well, even if yeah. you tried your best at scanning it. Yeah, that would. Uh, that's always the the annoying way to start, where you spend so much time. I remember the first one I did. I took like a hundred pictures of this piece of chocolate, and like, I don't know <laughs> if any of them worked. Um, but I was thinking, if people wanted to start out with photo scanning, what would they? What would they need? Like, would they need software-wise and also camera-wise? Would a phone do, or are they simply have too much distortion? Something you what? also talk about prime lenses versus zoom lenses, and I think phone is not even comparable to any of that. <laughs> well, to be fair, you know, uh, some of the things that people argue back and forth about, uh, those are things that are best left for like a professional um, to worry about because th those are like really nitpicking, like prime lens versus zoom lens most of the time. <laughs> Unless it's a really crappy zoom lens, it'll probably be fine. Yeah, if you're just starting out in scanning with uh, photogrammetry, because because any phone that I've used and the phones I see other people using, uh, they, they work perfectly suitably for scanning. 
been made in the last five or ten years. It'll probably be fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I guess. And, please go ahead. Oh. Ah. Uh, and how was it? Um. Oh. Uh, I mean, the classic subjects for a beginner or even just an easy scan uh, are rocks because rocks, as long as they're not wet, rocks are like a great thing to scan. They're not a solid color. Uh, there's variation. And that's that's really all you need. You need something that'll give you lots of points. Uh, you'll need something that's not real reflective. A little a little reflection or highlight is okay, but um, you, you want to keep it to a minimum because the more you have, the harder it's going to be. Yeah, I can imagine. Can imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so rocks are great. Trees are great. Um, dirt. Nobody wants to scan dirt, but dirt's great. <laughs> I mean, we need that in our in our footage, in our renders and scenes. <laughs> so, <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, those are those are the classic subjects. If you have something besides a rock or a tree, a dirty shoe is a great thing as well. Um, those are my top three subjects for beginners. Top three subjects. Okay, that's cool. Then people know where to where to get started. <laughs> and those are great too, because everybody's you know, unless you're in a desert, maybe you don't have trees, but you, you probably have one of one of those things somewhere. Hopefully, you've got shoes. Hopefully, you got shoes. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Otherwise, maybe we can scan your feet. You just have to hold them very still. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they're not clean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> otherwise, you don't have any. Any points to get from it. <laughs> but um, uh, I was also checking your your YouTube channel and then I saw you made a video. I think you made two, but you made a recent video about uh, HDRI maps, like how to use them. And I remember when I was, I don't know, probably have been using Blender for three years or something. And I tried HDRI maps, but I couldn't get them to look right because everything was just blue. And I was like, why is everything blue when I load this in? Oh, yeah. And then I found your tutorial and that just made it click. And I was like, wait a second, this guy's talking about my exact problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that video helped you. I, I That's one of my lower uh, view videos. And I figure oh, nobody nobody watches that. So I'm surprised if anybody ever mentions it. I will put it in the comments here because people have to, or the description, because people have to go watch it if they haven't, because it makes you realize why some HDRI maps are good and why some are bad. Exactly. Yeah, you you can spot it straight away if you've got that like blue uh, kind of tinge to everything. Yeah, it's probably like a low dynamic range map. Yeah, yeah. It might as well just have used a JPEG in there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's really cool because I feel like there's a lack online of this kind of knowledge. I see a lot of people who can open Blender and they can make some kind of they can set up an area light and they can do some stuff and it looks really cool. But having this deep knowledge about why stuff is wrong. And also, I remember I was watching, I think it was your breakdown from the GTA video. And you were talking mm -hmm. about how you just scaled, you, you um, undersampled your render, like in resolution, and just dragged it up in After Effects or whichever compositing software you used, because that made it look more like footage. Because footage is so, or real life footage is so blurred. Um, That's true. That's one of the things that is easy to overlook, especially when you're getting into this thing. You you spend all this time getting your materials and your lighting to match, and you know you camera track your footage. You do all this work, um, and then you see it and you think, well, it looks good, but it doesn't it doesn't look real. And and no. having like super sharp CG footage is one of those things that is really easy to overlook. Yeah, because we don't. I don't think we see it. I was also working lately on a screen replacement for for a product. 
And I realized how much I had to blur it to make it look realistic. And I was like, wait a second, what kind of crappy camera was recording yeah. this? But the well, camera they shoot was probably this on like, their phone. Yeah, and, and actually it was like, I think it was a really good camera it was shot on and really good people. And when you looked at it, it was 4K, but when you looked at it at full screen, it looked perfect and super crisp. But when you zoom, zoomed in, then you could see, wait, this is really blurry. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you can really underestimate how soft uh, footage from the real world can be. Yeah, yeah. So it's super cool to, that you're sharing all these things. Um, how did you actually, how did you learn these things? Was it just like you figured it out along the way? Or did you talk to uh, a lot of people? What is your like approach to getting all this knowledge? I'm curious. Well, that's hard to say. Um, the simple answer I would say would be, it's just, a, a very slow, gradual accumulation of experience. <laughs> um, as far as figuring it out, uh, I think I use all the same avenues that most people use. Um, sometimes, sometimes you, you if if you have the time to think about things um, and to daydream or just to to think about something and ponder it for a while, uh, sometimes something will come to you that that you didn't hear from somebody else or online or whatever. Um, and, and those are great things uh, because those, those are almost like there's other people in the world who know the exact same thing. I'm sure, and, you know, for sure. But uh, they're kind of like secrets that you have and then you can share them if you want to or, or not. Um, but uh, I, I would say that's where most of those things come from. Not, not from just coming up with myself. Some of those things are like that. The, um, Rendering at 80%, I think it was, and then scaling up to 125%. Um, that was something I just did myself because I was like, well, I want to save time rendering and it's going to have to be <laughs> soft anyway. So I'll just render it smaller, then blow it up. Smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes you'll come up with things that you don't really know where they came from. Um, uh, maybe subconsciously you're remembering something you heard elsewhere. Maybe it's something you heard like years ago to this new thing that you're doing and then you don't know where it came from. Um, how long have I been doing this? I, I guess I've been doing this for about, uh, this is 2021. So if yep. I started in 2005 with Poser, then about 15 years, 16 yeah, years. 16 years. Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a good amount of years. Then you also have all the, a lot of time to find these things. Whereas yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I have a lot of, a lot of years to go through still. Where I, I still have, books up here uh what do i have i've got these old 3d world books oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what do i have here i have um this one this is from july 2006 wow oh they're in good condition maybe i can retire uh one day yeah <laughs> and it's so it's so cool to see how it developed over time and it developed so quickly like if you go back to 2010 and see the the 3D that was out there at that time, it was still really good. Like it was incredible what people could do just faking stuff in Photoshop. But I like always, I always remember uh, Chris Nichols, like his, his, his quote, everything has Fresnel. I also picked up on your reference in one of your videos to, to the, oh, okay. to the short film he made. Uh, that was really cool. <laughs> but like, I remember that. Even before, what was that? I don't know, stealth when that was made in 05, 07, something. They didn't, they didn't really know about Fresnel. And I'm like, how can you make anything look good without Fresnel? And now we don't even think about it because it's already built into every render engine, right? Like That's the right. Um, yeah, I, I remember that. I think um, 
you know, I guess that's the uh, that's the double edged sword of improvement in our tools and our technology. Um, like you said, Fresnel is built into the shaders now. You don't have to think about it. You can adjust it if you want to, but yeah, um, a lot of people don't even think about it. Uh, and and that's got pros and cons. You know, if you if you just want your stuff to look good, you just have to figure out how to use the tools to yeah. make it work. Um, if you want to make it yourself. You have to learn how it's made and and all you I mean, that's a good thing. You, you start learning about those things that you might not otherwise hear about. Like if you want to make an HDRI uh, map, that is a thing I always have trouble saying. I sound drunk when I say HDRI. I'm like <laughs> slurring every every letter. HDRI. HDRI. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you have to learn. You have to learn why uh, uh, a low dynamic range image isn't really suitable for what you're asking it to do. Yeah. Um, and you, you have to learn how to actually shoot it. Even, even still today, shooting a proper HDRI in, in a, a high dynamic scene, like, uh, like midday sun is a classic example. It's a lot of work. You gotta get all the pictures, you, you know, you gotta get everything around you. We're so used to, uh, you know, being able to buy it or even, being yeah. able to download Greg Zoll's HDRIs for free. Exactly. He kind yeah. of revolutionized it. <laughs> yeah. So we don't have to worry about it. And it is easy to take it for granted. Um, but yeah. um, it's something you can you can learn more about if you want to. Yeah. And I think it will really strengthen your understanding of it. And even though you talked about the double-edged sword, I think the same is going to happen with Aces soon and color spaces. Uh, personally, I really like, I, I'm really a pro ACES person. Uh, and I think a lot of people are not really, either not interested in, in color spaces because they think it, why would I, what, why would I bother? And, uh, but yeah, I'm curious, like, what, what is your opinion on it? Are you using some kind of, uh, well, we're all using Filmic and Blender, so maybe that kind of changes it, but are, are you looking into this stuff? Um, that's something I, I'd like to learn more about in the very new future. <sighs> Very near future. I'm like turning into HDRI for every word. <laughs> um, I, I watched a video on YouTube. Uh, like I think it was a two-part uh, video. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was some young uh, whippersnapper who seems pretty smart about CG. Um, he made an Aces uh, video, a, a couple of them, and I watched them. And it didn't seem too complicated the way he broke it down. Uh, it's... I do. I do hear some people who are sort of like back and forth about filmic and aces and yeah. Um, and, and and that's fine. And I'm sure there's still work that can be done to develop things to make them uh, make them better, and more consistent, uh, more accurate. Whatever the goal is, um, I do want to learn how to do stuff like that in the future because um, a lot of times uh, in all my videos past, I just I just look at it with my eyes and I try yeah. to think. Does it look right? Does it look off? And sometimes that works. Um, but I, I never feel like I get it really 100%. Mm -hmm. And I feel like having mm -hmm. something like a system like ACES would, it would just it would, it would give me more confidence for one. And I feel like it would just overall make everything look more consistent because that's the goal, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think when, when it's better integrated into everything, into Blender, into all the editing software, into After Effects, all the compositing software, like, then it will be, why would you not use it? It's just a button you have to press and then you have to remember you have to export in linear and that's it. And then the exactly. software makes, does the rest, right? 
But, yeah, it's it's like yeah. Uh, why would you use a color chart because you want your colors to look accurate. Exactly. And that's that's talking about color chart. That's something I I also really need to get into because I actually never realized how to use them. Uh, so. Oh, I barely know how to use them still too. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know what I do? Um, I actually still. Uh, I don't know if I should even say this, but I just I I just uh, <laughs> mostly go by white balance, and if that looks good, then. That's good enough. That is, yeah. uh, that's another thing I want to get better at in the future, but I just don't have, you know, I shoot most of my scans with cross polarization, mm -hmm. um, which helps to reduce highlights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we it, can talk about that more later. It looks, too, it looks well. super like a magic, it looks totally like a magic trick when you take in the videos, like you put the filter in front of your camera and then you turn it and then some reflections just disappear and you're like, what is this sorcery? That's <laughs> really cool. Yeah, I still, uh, I, I still, it's just something that never gets old. I love <laughs> seeing seeing the reflection gradually just disappear to basically nothing. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh, uh, when I shoot cross polarization though for my scans, um, color charts uh, as they are today aren't really designed for cross polarization in mind. I know mm. I, I've seen I've seen one paper about as a resolution or a solution um but it's 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 one of those things that's just hard to find information about um and to figure out okay what should i do um yeah. so it's yeah i i just i just don't even do it i don't bother i i look at the white balance and i think okay that looks good that's good <laughs> and that's that's the that's that's also the thing because i mean a lot of people or i at least when i put in my scans I often add a color curve or an RGB curve, and then I can tweak like the reds a little bit because ah, I would like them to be a little more like this. And then I guess I've broken everything anyway. <laughs> well, you know, but, um, it, as long as it looks good, that's the important thing. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, who's going to know? You know, sometimes uh, a texture, just speaking about textures broadly, um, tweak it. Uh, afterwards, you know, I, I remember Eric Christensen, who is from New Zealand, I believe. He's a he's a very good scanner. He's worked at Weta as well. Um, oh, okay. He talked about uh, uh, I think it was like sand or pebbles along the coast of a, a shore somewhere. Um, and the original scan that he shot, it was very green. I think because of algae. Um, and he said he he ended up getting rid of most of the green for useful asset because how many people want green in their sand? You know, maybe you want it, but more likely you won't. Um, so that, that's that's something worth considering for yeah. people who are, some of us are very kind of hell-bent on things like exactly, technically perfect. And I think I think that can, um, that can kind of drag your focus away from picture of make it look good, uh, if it's an asset you're making for people, make it as useful as it can be, um, because the less useful it is, the less worthwhile it's have, uh, the yeah. less it's worth having. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's it's interesting this thing because I, uh, I, one of my friends and I, we're joking about that uh, that everything has for me to be physically correct. So if if I see somebody in the node tree in Blender adding a add node, I'm like, no, 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 that's wrong. You are breaking the consistency. <laughs> the, what is it called? The the per, like the light. You get too much light in there uh, because the method is wrong. But uh, but it's very interesting what you say. And I think you are you are totally right because we have to remember that in in VFX, like 
if the pixels look correct, then it's okay. If you if you can't see it, like everything will be a bit blurred in the background. So pff, who cares if it's not perfect there? Yeah, and, and the all these things who do right? care. They won't ever know. They won't ever find out. Exactly. They will never find out. It's a. It's totally a secret. <laughs> it's a secret hidden in blur and depth of field, <laughs> or motion blur and depth of field. But uh, but yeah. Um, actually, today I just discovered, uh, or I was I was looking a bit uh, at friendly friendly shade, who oh. turned out to be. I knew him before, but I didn't know that you guys knew each other. And then I realized that uh, for his his software normalizer. I think you made the presentation video for it. Is that correct? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. So I just discovered it. I literally discovered it today and I'm already like blown away because <laughs> I never knew that you could take a normal map and convert it into a displacement map. Yeah, I, I was really impressed when Sebastian uh, told me he came up with that. I, I'd never, I didn't know you could do that either. That's really cool. That's really cool. But yeah, but uh, so are you and Sebastian, are you doing work together or how, how does it work? Well, basically I'm part of Friendly Shade now. Okay. Um, in, uh, how long? I think I, I'm going to say January of 2020. So it's been, uh, it's been about a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. um, I've been processing scans. I've been shooting scans. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's been my. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of work to do there. <laughs> and I, I have been developing um, my scanning rigs, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, basically I just want to make it easier to, to get things scanned. Um, yeah. I, I have like an analogy that I want to make scanning, uh, you know, a, a physical thing, be as easy as just walking over the printer and putting paper <laughs> on there and scanning a piece of paper. I, it won't literally be that easy, but I want it to be... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, without all the technical hoops you have to jump through. Yeah, before I started yeah. scanning for Friendly Shade, um, you know, I scan pretty much like everybody else does. Um, but when I started scanning for Sebastian, he wanted big areas, he wanted high quality. Uh, yeah. I had my little T2i, which motion camera at all. Um, so I, I had to start thinking of ways to make it easier on myself because it would take at least at a minimum, it would take two to three hours of shooting pictures to, to get them all for the scan. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think the longest I shot was, I'm going to say it was about eight and a half hours, uh, for one area. Uh, and that was with my T2I again. Incredible. Okay. Wow. So how does that work? Yeah. Is it because you, is it then a big area where you have like a lot of different walls, a lot of different small kind of props that you have to also get? Well, no, actually. Eight and a half area, uh, eight and a half hour one. That was <laughs> that was actually just a dock, uh, not a big dock either. Um, I don't know. It was probably less than ten meters, I'm sure. Um, mm -hmm. But I I had to shoot close up uh, close up to it, and yeah. because I couldn't, uh, I didn't have a, a setup that would allow me to shoot during the day because I needed I needed the ambient light to be low enough. <clears throat> low enough that it wouldn't appear in the camera um, and, and mess with the cross polarization. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I totally understood that, but uh... <laughs> if you if you imagine pattern uh, for, and for most things, my shooting pattern is just a grid. Uh -huh. um, so so if I'm shooting a wall, for instance, uh, I, I do a row here and then I go up. 
yeah, leave yeah. enough overlap and then go back. And Sebastian's work has been, I have to shoot pretty close. I have to have, it's not a big area in the frame. And that's why it takes so long because I'm mm. shooting, I'm always shooting like thousands of pictures. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Then you would. Yeah. That's also, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's also the problem. Like I think with, with mega scans that the big assets, you cannot get close at all because then you have really, really bad texture quality. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I guess going both very close and also very far would give you all the details you need. Yeah. You know, actually, I only uh, I only shoot close up. I don't shoot um, for surface scans anyway. Uh, I don't bother with... I couldn't mm. really anyway because I would have to... Because I'm not shooting ambient light, I would have to adjust... I would have to figure out like what's what's going to be the same exposure with the camera suddenly a lot further away. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't have to. You can shoot just close up, and that's what I do. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a lot of people who don't know that. You can literally just shoot close up, and as long as you're getting the whole thing, uh, it'll turn out. It'll work. Ah, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I always thought that you you needed like different uh, distances also, so it could kind of like place the puzzles inside the bigger puzzle or something. But yeah, I remember yeah. I did I did mention that in a, a past video I did where I talked about shooting close up and further away. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. when I do that, I would generally just use that as a backup in case you know oh. the the more complex the shape gets, the more likely you're gonna miss something. So at least yeah. if you shoot from a distance, you have some data, even if it's not as sharp, it's still gonna it's gonna look good enough probably. Yeah, okay. Huh, interesting. Yeah, but it also makes sense that if, if it kind of starts to mix pixel from that picture, which is far away, then you will have blurry pixels and sharp pic or blurry areas and sharp areas. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I, I can feel like there is so much still to for me to learn about photo scanning, uh, but I really want to, to try it out soon. I have a, the camera I'm using here is like a Canon mirrorless camera. So I'm oh, thinking cool. I should get a lens for that and then I could maybe start scanning a little bit here and there. <laughs> Yeah, that would be great. You know, the nice thing about um, not using your phone, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's apps that let you shoot in RAW on your phone. I know there are. Mm. Um, but, you know, the nice thing about using a, a dedicated camera is that you do have RAW and you can you can adjust the white balance. You can uh, you can get more information in the shadows, which is really helpful for Photoscan uh, and, and other photogrammetry apps, because um, at least in Photoscan, if you have something really dark, it'll tend to ignore those dark areas. So hmm. um, that's why I shoot with a black background when I shoot a turntable, because I wanted to just ignore the black uh, the background and uh -huh. and just look in front of it. Ah, that's a really cool trick, though. So it kind of makes an, a, a mat by itself, just by being black. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It doesn't have any points that it can identify to, yeah. uh, to kind of screw with your camera alignment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh, cool. That's a good trick, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually, I also wanted to to touch a little bit or talk about your latest short film. I was almost forgetting that. Um, I saw you published it not so long ago. It was the Titanfall. And as far as I understood, it was rendered entirely in Eevee, which I found really cool because on the first watch through, I was sure it was Cycles. And then I read oh. Eevee and I was like, wait a second, what? <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm glad you, I'm glad you thought that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, it, uh, how did it come to be? Like, how did you get the idea for it? Um, you know, I'd been wanting to make some Titanfall videos for a while now, and I actually started on another one before the video that we're talking about, the, um, 
Titanfall Believe video. Um, I, I think I was working on it for probably three or four months at least. And mm-hmm. I got to the point where I was ready to start shooting. And I realized I don't feel confident enough. For example, in, um, in matching VFX to the live action, yeah. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable that I could do that without testing first and, and knowing more about what I was going to do exactly. Cause I had a new camera. Um, I was going to shoot on green screen. Uh, there are a lot of things there and I decided, okay, I'm going to save all this stuff. I'm going to use these assets that I have been working on in a short little video. And I wanted to make it really easy on myself and not have animation to worry about. So I decided, uh, okay, maybe I can make like a battle scene in like bullet time and just make it like something short and kind of enjoyable to watch. So at least I upload something. Um, so that's where that idea came from. That is so funny you say that because when I saw it, I was like, this is genius to only move the camera, like this creative decision and to to make everything a still image made it, it was like the action in the still image. And then it was, you were just sitting here telling me, I was just, I just didn't know if I could do the other thing. And then I just- Yeah, I was just being lazy and wanted something easy. But it was, I think that was really what made it special and which, what makes me remember the film. Oh, thank you. Did you see, um, did you see the Halo? I mean, did you recognize the Halo commercial reference? Uh, I I think I saw that in the description as well, but I haven't seen the Halo. I got to check it out afterwards. Um, Yeah. It was, uh, so, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do, like, a battle, uh, and I knew I wanted bullet time, and I think for a few days, I was just thinking about different things I could do. I wrote down notes for, like, cool ideas, and a lot yeah. of those things are in the video, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it, was, it wasn't long after that that I remembered the old Halo ad, which uh, which the video is basically an homage to, um, and that's where the music help comes from. Uh, they use the same same music in that. Uh, and it's it's not cut the same. I, I didn't want to make it like a one-to-one recreation because uh, no, no. I wanted to make it like my own thing. Um, and also, they had hundreds of soldiers, and there was no way I was going to like manually <laughs> pose that many, that many like, dudes. No, 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 no. no. Got to find another solution. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it was already taking way longer than I wanted it to. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, And I used Eevee because, uh, well, because it was faster. Uh, I also found out when I was doing test renders, um, I couldn't actually render it in cycles with, uh, you know, the real killer for it, I think was, was all of the, uh, VDB assets, the volume mm, assets, uh, yeah. which I ended up using. And that was my first time using VDBs as well. Um, I bought them from the pixel lab or something. Uh, they, they had Excellent. like a nice pack. Uh, oh, cool. so Got to check that yeah. out. Yeah, it was fun. Um, you know, the fact that Blender had, uh, I mean, I hadn't downloaded it for like a year, but I finally downloaded the new version of Blender uh, in the GTA video, in the behind the scenes, you can see I'm still using 2.79, even (laughs) though 2.8 had been out for a while at that point. Um, But I wanted to render VDB, so I had to, I had to download a new one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was a lot of fun. I, that was a fun video because, you know, one of the benefits of doing something that's completely CG is you don't have to worry if you're shooting live action, and you, you don't really like something or you want to change it, what do you do? Well, you, so if you can fix it without reshooting, that's great. But maybe you have to go back and reshoot it. And yeah. that nobody wants to do that. Yeah, so yeah. The, so then you have to settle. Say like, okay, this is how it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes that can be good. Sometimes you can like come up with cool ideas. But 
nobody wants to do that in the first place. You know, you don't want yeah. to settle on on not doing the thing you wanted to do. No, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's the nice thing about doing something that was completely have that kind of stress. Um, and if I didn't really like something, I could think about it for a little while because I'm doing this for myself. I'm not on a schedule. Yeah. Uh, that's why videos take two years to come out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I can go back, I can change things. That video was, it was a lot of work for me, but it was a lot of fun in the sense that I got to focus on things that I normally didn't make time for, didn't have time for even, uh, which was, uh, composition. And I realized composition yeah. becomes a really important thing in a video like that because, um, cause the camera is moving so slowly you want to make sure you have a, a a very striking or compelling or even just an aesthetic image because the camera is going to be there for a second or two or three. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It's true. If it doesn't look nice, it's going to drag. So if you can, uh, you know what I did? I looked at, um, I looked at old paintings and I looked at I was statues. actually just about to say that because especially your thumbnail looks so much like one of the old paintings. Like it looks totally oh, like a painting that, uh, yeah. Thank you. I was trying to think of what would um, what would like complement this style of making a video, a bullet time video, um, because you know there's, there's been like lots of different uh, bullet time effects done over the years, and I wanted I wanted to do something that would not feel like I was just using it as a gimmick. I wanted it to feel mm -hmm. like it's part of the video. Um, and I remembered a lot of uh, I guess Renaissance paintings or Renaissance era. Uh, statues where they have mm -hmm. these like really I guess dynamic flowing poses and and they look good from like every angle that was another thing I, I realized oh. about doing bullet time was you want it to look good from every angle not just one because you know the camera is going to sweep around and and if it looks good here but it doesn't look good here uh well you don't want That's that very interesting yeah, yeah yeah because usually you just want the, the pose to look right from the from the one angle like the silhouette has to be readable there but, but yeah, yeah. But I think you really, like, I didn't remember that the camera was moving so much, actually, but I just remembered how it felt like uh, it was really conveying the story and you could really understand the story just from these still images, which, ah. well, of course, still the camera was moving, but there was no movement in the in the images as such. Um, but I, I think you. it's really cool, really cool that you that you had this limitation that was kind of pushed you to 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 do the compositions in this certain way. Yeah, 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 yeah that was a lot of fun. I'm glad you felt like there was a story there too. I, I didn't want it just feel like a bunch of random shots. I wanted it to feel like a story, even if there was no dialogue or literally nobody moving. I think that is, um, to me, that's very important because I, I often maybe bash a little bit on the Instagram posts because often I feel like on Instagram, people post something which is, is like, it looks cool. It looks really sweet. And that's, that's, that's genius. Like, but it's very forgettable because it doesn't have a story. Whereas this video, you'll remember it because it had a story. It had something you wanted to say. The other things are just like, oh, it looks cool. Like, go on with your life, right? <laughs> and yeah. um, so when I find stuff like this, this that I feel like has a story, then I always remember it. I tend to remember it longer and uh, like go back to it. So I agree. So thank you for making the, the film. <laughs> I enjoyed ah, it. Thanks for watching it. <laughs> I was thinking just one last thing. How long, I'm just curious, how long uh, was the render time in, in Eevee, like approximately? Because oh, from from what I can remember, um, most of the shots I think took around a minute and a half, maybe closer yeah. to like two minutes, something like that. Yeah. Okay, but you still work in the viewport in real time. 
with with the VDBs as well. Yeah, yeah, I did. Actually, that was something that uh, that was really uh, a, a benefit to me on this yeah. project because prior to that, you know, the GTA video, I and and before that, of course, uh, you know, if I want to see really kind of what it's going to look like, I had to render it out uh, and being able to just view the stuff in real time. Man, that was that made it uh, that made it actually fun, even though it was a huge scene for me anyway. It was a huge scene. Uh, there were hundreds of, of objects in it. Yeah. Uh, being able to just just get like a pretty good real time render yeah. that really made it a lot of fun. It made it easier. I knew where to put the camera. Uh, man, that was a huge benefit. That is super cool. Like I really wanted to 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 try that uh, try that as well with a project. Like doing most of it in Eevee. Probably still do the final rendering cycles, but really work with the rendered view because exactly that. Like the lighting has so much to do with the with the composition of the image. And in either oh, yeah. you can get the lighting in there, even the reflections. Um, my yeah, exactly. last project I did was in Unreal Engine because I really wanted to try out how it was to work in real time there. But cool. I got to say that that really felt like, first of all, it was very slow. My render time was, I don't know, sometimes it was like even as slow as ray tracing. So oh, wow. it took, I don't know, I don't know how many hours I spent rendering that. Uh, some, some frames took like five minutes to render. Uh, oh, jeez. So I didn't it, know that. No, exactly. And and I couldn't even view it in real time in my viewport because the reflections, the ray trace reflections that I saw was so heavy to, to render. Um, so that was kind of like a bummer. And I was like, oh, man, so I can't even move stuff around in real time anyway because I have to turn down the turn off the reflections and turn off everything to get it to work in real time. Uh, but I really I really want to try out Eevee more. Uh, try this approach where you can art direct everything with with lighting, with everything, with the composition, and then just yeah. at the at the end, probably hit the cycles button and then and then go for the vinyls. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought I was gonna do for the, for that project actually. And mm -hmm. then uh, then when I realized I couldn't load all the uh, what are they called? I just said um uh, all the VDBs. V VDBs. That's right. I couldn't. Uh -huh. I get. I think that's what it was. I think I. I like that and all the other assets in the scene yeah it, it was just too much to load onto my gpu so so you know what? i'm actually happy that i rendered it in eevee though um i feel like i feel like eevee kind of has it, it can look realistic but mm -hmm. i feel like it also gives it kind of a uh, an illustrated look um i'm not sure oh, how to describe it but to me it, it to me those those frames that i rendered they looked a little bit more like an illustration or a painting than like uh, a photo real, you know, hyper realistic. Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. But still, like, it totally cheated me. I thought it was cycles, so I, I can't really say much, actually. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I guess it again, like, it depends on the on the scene. If, if it's a scene that makes sense to render in EVO cycles, but... That's true, anyway. yeah. Really cool, really cool stuff. Um, is there is there other things that that you would like to touch on? Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I I am working. Uh, I, I'm working with Seb to get the uh, Friendly Shade library. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that we're excited to release, and I think cool. that'll be that'll probably be about uh, I think about three months from now. It should be released and available. So I'm really excited about that. And what that else am sense. I doing? I'm that still working sense. on videos. Um, I've got a lot of stuff I I, I want to do, and once I have money again, I'll be able <laughs> to do some of it. 
money and time are the two factors that has to be up there and then you can kind of like pff, spend all of it again <laughs> yeah, i know yeah <laughs> just blow it all on youtube videos blow it all on youtube videos and then you're you're happy and then you gotta get out there and work again <laughs> yeah then i'm screwed yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool that's really cool so what is the what is the next video coming up do you know that yet um it's actually a halo video uh, as far as the video for my channel i'm gonna make mm -hmm. a like a little a little like tutorial video on how I did the lighting in uh, in the Titanfall video. But um, yeah, the next video on my YouTube channel will be a Halo video. And I'm, that's actually my first video where uh, I'm acting uh, with with an actual actor um, who's from Michigan. Uh, Caitlin, wow, that's really cool. Caitlin Burt, that's her name. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. That, uh, that That's something I want to do in the future. I want to be able to have people who are actually talented actors in my videos. <laughs> no, but I love the acting there already. It's great. It's great. <laughs> you have you have like the sense of uh, of making it humorous just the way that you that you like express things in the videos. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's a hard thing to do when when you're the one person doing like pretty much every job on the video. It it's it's hard to maintain like objectivity and also yeah, I can imagine. There's a lot of stuff you forget about. So I'm really, I'm <laughs> glad you like the acting at least. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So how is the, what kind of, what kind of video will it be? Will it be a couple of minutes, a minute, oh, it, VFX? It's, it's probably going to be, it's probably be around a minute and a half, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be completely CG and uh, cool. I'm, I'm playing a Halo guy and she's playing a Halo guy or, or gal. Um, and uh and there's a warthog. It's kind of a simple idea. Again, a lot of the videos I do need to be simple in some regard, but um, I think it'll be funny. It's just like a short little funny video that I, cool. I thought of one day. I'm really looking forward to seeing it soon or whenever. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I know how it is with these things. It could take a long time. And then you feel like, I got to get it done. I got to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hopefully this year it'll be out. Cool, cool. I'm looking forward to it. It could be a Christmas gift or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. So, where if people want to see more of your stuff, um, follow you different places, see what you're up to, where is the best? Where are the best places for them to to go? Uh, probably the best place to go would be Twitter, which I don't know my username, uh, but it, it's, it's Classy Dog Films. Probably if you search for Classy Dog Films, you'll find me. Uh, Twitter awesome. is a good place, uh, and then YouTube. If you want to watch a video, like a new one every year or two, or if you want to watch <laughs> old videos. That's that's probably a good place to go. You can also find me on YouTube. Um, if you want to add me on, on, sorry, did I say YouTube? I meant to say Facebook. Ah, Facebook. Yeah, you, you can find got me on Facebook. Um, if you really want to add me as a friend on Facebook, <laughs> I'll consider accepting your friend request. Uh, otherwise, just follow sure. me on Facebook. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. That's <laughs> awesome. Well. Thank you so much for for jumping in and wanting to yeah to record this with me. I was so I was so curious to hear more about what you've been up to because I have I've seen your work like a long time ago and I have always like remembered your stuff. Um, so I was really happy that you wanted to to have a little chat so I could hear about what you've been up to. I thank you. I'm flattered. When you make videos in your bedroom for years, you know you wonder like how many people are actually watching these but i uh, <laughs> i'm flattered to hear that and and thank you for inviting me as well this is my first time being on a podcast instead of just like sitting in my room pretending i'm on a podcast <laughs> well then we got to do it some other time as well 
we can yeah. uh, we can always make an episode two at some point. <laughs> cool. But it was so cool to have you on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I was super happy to be able to do this episode with James, and I just really enjoy doing these talks, having these chats with people. If you'd like to support the podcast, then you can go and subscribe on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. If you have any suggestions on who I should ask to get on, just let me know and I will take a look at it. I think that was about it. Have a nice day, everybody, and see you in the next one.